transformation that took place in Arjuna from being a mumukshu to a jignyasu. Mumukshu everyone is, everybody is desirous of moksha liberation, but that is called maturity when the desire for liberation turns into desire for knowledge. <coughs> and that transformation happened in Arjuna. He got this insight. So in the, as I said, the, somehow the fact that he, he was experiencing a very deep sadness or grief within himself, and that seems to have given the insight that all of a sudden then he surrenders to Lord Krishna and says, please teach me, I am a disciple, I am surrendered to you. Meaning that he could see this fact that the solution of his problem of grief or sadness lies in knowledge and that is how he submitted himself to Lord Krishna. <coughs> and Lord Krishna right away started saying, Asochananva Sochastvam Here Juna, you are grieving for those who should not be grieved for. Meaning thereby that there is no reason for grief at all in life. Arjuna is grieving for his near and for the possible death of his near and dear ones and Lord Krishna says you are grieving for those who do not deserve to be grieved for meaning that nobody deserves to be grieved for meaning that there is no reason for any grief at all when only when the wisdom is there gatasun agatasum se nam sochandi panditaha Lord Krishna says look at panditaha the wise people they do not grieve for those who are departed and those who are not departed, meaning that those who are gone or those who are remaining, none of them has to be, none of them has to be the cause of grief. I said yesterday, normally we think that the cause of my grief lies outside of myself. We think that it's a problem having solution outside, whereas it's a problem having solution within, meaning that the problem itself has a solution. <coughs> That grief is centered upon the self. 
it is ignorance of the self that thinks about the grief and it is knowledge of the self that will remove that. What does ignorance of the self do? It creates in me, as I say, a sense of smallness, limitedness, inadequacy. And I have a problem with that. I cannot accept myself as an inadequate being because I would always see myself as adequate or complete being. So this expectation I have of myself. I am born with an expectation. I am born with an expectation of myself that I should be complete. I should be free of all limitations. It is not that somebody has planted this desire in me. I am born with this desire. <clears throat> and I am conscious of myself. And I find that I am inadequate. I am incomplete. I am limited. Thus I find myself to be quite different or opposite of what I expect myself to be. And that's what brings about an unhappiness with my own self. That unhappiness with myself is the cause of my unhappiness or sadness. <clears throat> Not unhappiness with anybody else. I'm only concerned about myself. And I'm happy if I find myself acceptable. I'm unhappy if I find myself unacceptable. <clears throat> As we have said a number of times before also, that happiness and unhappiness, they arise in me only when the I or the self is connected. Otherwise, no event can cause any reaction from me if the I is not connected. Meaning something happening out there doesn't do anything to me. Neither creates pleasure or pain. If somebody I don't know, suppose, gets gold medal, doesn't matter to me. Somebody I do not know fails the test, doesn't matter to me. But if I get the gold medal, then it's a different matter. If I fail the test, it's a different matter. Obviously, mine, let's say my son gets gold medal, or my son fails, if somehow I get connected, that is when only happiness or unhappiness arise, not otherwise. That shows that these are always centered upon the self. And therefore, the solution also is centered upon the self. And it is ignorance of self that causes these reactions. It is knowledge of self which will eliminate the cause of sadness. <clears throat> and that's why Lord Krishna says, Arjuna, there is no reason for grief or sadness in life at all. If you knew your, the nature of yourself, what you think about yourself, that you are a limited being, certainly. You are mortal, you are ignorant, you are limited, certainly that is, that is all the cause of grief. But if you came to know the true nature of yourself, then you realize that there is no cause of grief. <coughs> this number of verses are devoted to removal of shoka or grief. If you knew what the nature of the self is, what the true nature is. Arjuna, self is changeless, imperishable, free from modification, ever the same, ever free from all limitations. If you knew that, there was no cause for grief at all. <coughs> Meaning thereby that the grief is a result of ignorance. Bhagavad Gita also describes what is the nature of ignorance. Lord Krishna says, what is the nature of ignorance? 
येनम वेत्य हंतारम यस्नम मन्यते हतम उभौ तौ न विजानित नायम हंती नहन्यते लॉर्ड कृष्णा सेज हुएवर लुक्स अपॉन द सेल्फ एज एन एजेंट ऑफ एक्शन एज ए डूअर ही डजंट नो इज टू सेल्फ एंड सम अदर वन हु थिंक दैट इज अ विक्टिम ऑफ समबडीज एक्शन ही आल्सो डज नॉट नो इज टू सेल्फ सो आइदर आई कंसीडर माय सेल्फ एज एन एजेंट ऑफ एक्शन और विक्टिम ऑफ समबडीज एक्शन आइदर करता और भोक्ता अडूअर और एक्सपीरियंसर उभौतौन विजानित है लॉर्ड कृष्णा एस बोथ ऑफ देम डू नॉट नो देम सेल्स वाई दिट सो नायम हंती नहन्यत बिकॉज द सेल्फ नीदर किल्स नॉर इज किल्ड मीनिंग दैट सेल्फ और आत्मा डज नॉट परफॉर्म एन एक्शन नॉर इज इट बिकम एन ऑब्जेक्ट ऑफ समबडील एक्शन दिस नो कर्तृत्व नॉर भोक्तृत्व so this is the primary focus of the teaching of bhagavad gita kartritva and bhoktritva that is why lord krishna says in more than one places that atma self is actionless free from doership because kartritva doership means i am the doer lord krishna says the self is not doer is actionless and therefore the idea of kartritva that i am a doer is an idea born of ignorance there is no bhoktritva atma is not an enjoyer also not an experiencer also and that being the case to take myself an experiencer also is ignorance <clears throat> meaning the ignorance of self manifests itself in our life in the form of these notions about ourselves that i am a doer or i am an experiencer i am a karta i am bhokta so kartritva and bhoktritva these are the manifestations of ignorance how do i know that i am ignorant you know what i take myself to be will reveal whether i am ignorant or not and i said if i take myself to be an agent of action a doer or an experiencer that shows that i do not know the true nature of myself and all this grief arises from kartritva and bhoktritva doership and enjoyership <coughs> because when i am a doer of an action then there is always a possibility that i do something which is not right then i have a sense of guilt when i am an experiencer then i become the object of victim of somebody's action in which case there is hurt so this hurt and guilt are the result of the kartritva and bhoktritva <coughs> this word lord krishna taught in the second chapter of the gita <coughs> so the teaching began right with the with the unfoldment of the nature of the self to eliminate the cause of grief if arjuna became free from grief then i guess gita need not have continued further if what lord krishna taught in the first 20 verses so lord krishna's teaching begins from the 11th verse of second chapter and up to the 30th verse lord krishna unfolds the nature of the self na jayate mriyate va kadachit the self is never born he never dies ajo nitya shashvatoyam purana is birthless is deathless is free from decay free from growth is changeless so changelessness means that see kartrutva doership also is a change and enjoyership also is a change 
So when it said Atma is changeless, means that the Kartrutva, Bhoktrutva, the doership, experience cannot be an Atma. <coughs> they are the notions because of the identification. So in the second chapter, Lord Krishna also presents what we call the Atma, Anatma, Viveka, a discrimination or separation between the self and the non-self. <coughs> that there is birth and death, all right, Hey Arjuna, but not where you think they are. Natvevaham jatunasam natvam neme janajipaha Lord Krishna says, there never was a time when I was not. There never was a time, Arjuna, when you were not. There never was a time when all these people also were not. There never was a time when we were not. You know, if there is a time when I am not, and then there is a time when I am, you know, that's called the phenomenon of birth. So what is birth? Birth is the point in time before which I did not exist and birth means I came into existence. So everybody thinks that I was born and I'm going to die. That's the notion that we entertain about ourselves. Because we see the birth and death happening, Swamiji. There is birth and there is death. How do you say there is no birth and death? There is birth and death, all right. But not where we think it is. The body is certainly born and the body is going to die, of course. But then we equate the self with the body and therefore the birth of the body is equated to the birth of the self. The death of the body is equated to the death of the self. So this is the identification. And so that separation Lord Krishna teaches that this body, mind, sense complex is one thing, is an atma, non-self. An atma, the self is different from that. <coughs> So this is, the, the teaching starts with what we call the, the highest, the teaching of highest reality. It's very interesting. Here is Arjuna who is grieving and Lord Krishna teaching about, teaches him about the nature of the self. If Arjuna could grasp that teaching, then he would be free from the grief in which case no further teaching would have been necessary. However, Lord Krishna must have seen that in spite of telling Arjuna, still apparently the grief has not gone from him. And therefore, Lord Krishna continues the teaching. That's the second phase of the teaching, second chapter, which is the teaching of Karma Yoga. <clears throat> so thus we find these two aspects in the second chapter, Jnana Yoga and Karma Yoga. Where Jnanam, the knowledge of the self, is immediate means for becoming free from sorrow or grief, meaning for reaching moksha. So Lord Krishna presents jnanam, self-knowledge, as the direct means for moksha or liberation or freedom from all grief. And understand that freedom from grief is equivalent to attainment of happiness also, meaning becoming free from dukkha and attaining sukha are not two separate steps. Usually we say that sukha prapti, dukkha nivritti, attainment of happiness and elimination of unhappiness. This is what we are trying. However, when the dukkha or the sorrow gets eliminated, no separate effort is needed to gain happiness because happiness is the nature of the self. It is always there. It is nitya prapta, meaning happiness is of our own nature is always attained. It is sorrow 
which is veiling or obstructing the experience of the happiness. So when that obstruction goes away, when the sorrow goes away, the experience of happiness automatically is there and therefore no separate effort is needed to become happy. All that is needed is to get rid of sorrow, which is like a cloud that weighs the sun. Remove the cloud, then the sunlight becomes evident. And so also, remove the cloud of sorrow, and then the light of happiness becomes very evident. <coughs> Thus, Bhagavad Gita presents the self-knowledge as the immediate or direct means for becoming free from shoka or sorrow or grief, meaning attainment of moksha. <coughs> but then Lord Krishna sees the need also of teaching something else. Because this knowledge requires certain preparation of the mind. Even when you are told right now, you are limitless, you are Brahman, that doesn't generally touch us or does not do anything to us. If somebody were tell, to tell you that you are stupid, I guess that would right away we will respond to that kind of a thing. See, there are some uh, speakers who specialize in this. Here we have a tradition where we always remind and make our audience see how limitlessness is their nature. How there is no problem, how you are fine or wonderful as you are, this is how our approach is. Whereas an alternate approach is, you are all stupid, you fellows don't know what you are doing, you are ignorant, you need to do this, you need to do that. Then people feel very comfortable. You see, when they are told that you are ignorant, you are stupid, you need to do this, then they feel that, yes, now this teacher is telling us something. Other teachers said, you are limitless, that's okay. So what? Tell us what to do. And particularly Swamiji, he really cares for us. Because he tells right away, you know, what the problems are, how, Ill, how bad we are, how miserable we are. Because that's what we think about ourselves. When somebody says that, that seems to touch a chord. Because I don't have a very high esteem of myself and so somebody says you are missed, you are stupid. I think that that seems to be right. On the other hand, because I think that I am no good and when you are told that you are limitless, you are wonderful, you are ananda, it just does not seem to make any sense at all. So we require really the blessing or grace of our own mind really. It's called Atma Krupa. We require number of Krupa or the favor or grace. Ishwar Krupa, grace of Ishwara, of course, is required. Guru Krupa, grace of teacher is required, no doubt. Shastra Krupa, grace of scriptures is required. And finally, Atma Krupa, grace of our own self is required. <coughs> Meaning, I require the grace of my own mind. I require favorableness of my own mind. My mind should become favorable. Should be favorable disposed to be able to receive this teaching. I mean, welcome this teaching. So when I am told that you are Ananda, then my mind says, yes, you are right. 
So when the mind says yes, what the teacher says is right, that is the kind of mind that we require. So we require the favorableness of our own mind. Remember this, understand this. That is Atma Krupa. Krupa means grace or favorableness of our own self. <coughs> In the sixth chapter, Lord Krishna says, Atmaiva Hyatmano Banduhu, Atmaiva Ripu Atmanaha. Our own self can be our friend, our own self can be our enemy. In what sense our own self is enemy? The self does not in any way accept favorably what it is being told. What the Upanishads tell me, what the teacher tells me, that you are limitless, you are ever free, you are Brahman, you are Ananda. My mind does not in any way support this. It keeps on resisting. It keeps on sometimes even revolting. What do you mean by that? I know who I am. So when my mind becomes favorable to these statements of the scriptures and the teacher, that is when I am ready for receiving this knowledge. That does not mean that we have to wait for that day. Swamiji, thank you, you told us. So now we have stopped all the classes. Now waiting for the day when my mind becomes favorable. No, not, that's not the point. Because even listening to this itself is a very powerful tool. Very powerful means of changing our mind. So Shravanam, listen to the scripture, is a very powerful means of purification of mind. At the same time, we need to do something. So Lord Krishna teaches Karma Yoga. Performing karma in the spirit of yoga. That's the second part of the teaching in the second chapter of the Gita. <clears throat> this karma yoga is a brilliant idea. Because, see, Lord Krishna uses what we do in our day-to-day life as a means of our self-growth. If he says meditate, if he says go to forest and, you know, perform this kind of penance, and things of that, then we have to do something special. In Karma Yoga, in Lord Krishna's teaching, nothing special has to be done. No change has to take place even in my lifestyle. No change of activity needs to take place. All that needs to take place is only change of attitude. It is the Yoga of Attitude. And here, Lord Krishna has really created a miracle, you can say, or give us something, a great new insight. Until then, the dharma, or the, the religious life, or the spiritual life also, was confined to what we call yajnashala. In the Vedic times, the means of worship was performing yajna, the fire rituals. And through them, you worship the devatas. You receive that grace. So dharma was essentially confined to what we call the Vedic injunctions of do's and don'ts and mainly performing the fire rituals. So Lord Krishna, however, gave a very wide meaning to this word dharma or yajna. Where formerly yajna meant an offering to a given devata in the fire. 
Lord Krishna says that we need not have a fire altar. There need not be a formal offering in the fire. Because the most important aspect of yajna is not the fire, not even the material that you offer, it is the spirit of offering. So what makes an action a yajna or a sacrifice is the spirit of offering. And so Lord Krishna says, whenever an action is performed with the spirit of offering, any action becomes yajna. This is a great change. So Bhagavad Gita in fact brings a great change in the spiritual life in as much as even any person, whatever action the person performs, whether man or woman, young or old, Brahman or Kshatriya, Vaishya or Shudra, whoever it is. Otherwise many people did not have right to perform so many fire rituals. They were not qualified. But as far as Karma Yoga is concerned, everybody is qualified. In, law, in the 18th chapter, Lord Krishna describes his four castes, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra, depending upon their disposition of mind, and what the natural duties are, natural tendencies are. Samo, Damaha, Tapaha, Saucham. A Brahmana enjoys a disposition of mind where there is tranquility of the mind, there is self-control, there is austerity, there is purity, sanctity, love for knowledge, love for teaching, that's Brahmana. Akshatriya is a warrior class. Tejaha, Kshama, Dhrutir, Daksham. So when there is this uh, uh, Dhruti, Dhairiya, the fortitude, Dakshara, skill in action, Tejaha, also the capacity to be able to impress others or overpower others, a generosity, a natural tendency to rule, this is a Kshatriya. <clears throat> Krushikavrakshavanijyam, agriculture, cattle breeding, trading, that's the Vaishya. Paricharyapakam karma, serving everybody else is the karma of Shudra. So Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra. They are divided or they are identified by the disposition. It doesn't matter which varana, which caste you belong to. Sve sve karmani abhirataha samsiddhim labhate naraha. Lord Krishna says this, being devoted to one's own duty, whatever the duties be, samsiddhim labhate naraha, a person gains perfection. So this is the varanashram vyavastha. Varana means the caste system and the system of the stages of life. It is so designed that everybody has the opportunity to grow and attain moksha in this lifetime. A shudra also can. A shudra may remain shudra by karma, but he can become a brahmana by disposition of mind. It's possible. So you can be brahmana by varana, you can be shudra by karma. Some brahmins can be like that. By caste they are brahmins, by karma they are vaishyas or they are, you know, or shudras or whatever. You can be a shudra also by caste, but you can be a brahmana by disposition of mind. You can you can attain that maturity. So this is how Lord Krishna teaches karma yoga, the yoga of attitude. 
as a preparation for the knowledge. To have a disposition of mind, that mind is favorably disposed to receive this teaching. It is able to appreciate what is being taught and does not resist, does not reject or doesn't feel that this is, oh, this is going overhead and underhead and whatever it is, you know. It is able to be in tune with the teaching. <coughs> that is called Antahagana Shuddhi or purification of mind. There are certain things in our mind, some impulses which Lord Krishna identifies as Raga and Dvesha, attachment and aversion. So these are the obstacles to the disposition of mind required for receiving this teaching. And therefore, as a first step, Lord Krishna says that there should be the life of Karma Yoga, wherein this is the process of self-purification by which a person progressively becomes free from Ragadveshas and thus becomes favorably disposed for the knowledge. So, Karma Yoga and Jnana Yoga, these two lifestyles are being taught in the Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> in the whole Veda, of course, this is what the Veda teaches. The Pravritti Lakshana Dharma and Nivritti Lakshana. Dharma, characterized by Pravritti and Nivritti. Activity, engagement and disengagement. First stage is engagement, meaning karma or activity. Second stage is disengagement or life of contemplation. Life of activity, life of contemplation. <coughs> we will not call it life of renunciation. Let us call it life of contemplation. Possible that a householder also can live a life of contemplation. If you can, that's good. So, if without becoming a sannyasi also, remaining your station of life, you can still live a life of contemplation, then it's fine. What is important is a contemplative mind. An active mind, in course of time, becomes a contemplative mind. So the contemplative mind is a mind that is favorably disposed for this knowledge. <coughs> and so, Bhagavad, in second chapter, Lord Krishna started teaching Arjuna. Karmanyavadikaraste ma phale shukadachanai. Here Arjuna, your freedom is in performing your duty, not in determining the outcome, the result. Teaching thereby the detachment from the result of the action. So in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna teaches detachment. Anasakti or asakti. Sakti means attachment. Asakti or anasakti means the asakti means detachment. The attachment, anasakti means detachment. So when Mahatma Gandhi studied Bhagavad Gita, he came up with this message. Everybody comes up with their own message. So his little comment in Bhagavad Gita he called Anasakti Yoga. So he thinks that Lord Krishna teaches Anasakti, detachment in Bhagavad Gita. When Lokmanya Tilak, when he studied Bhagavad Gita, he came with this message that Bhagavad Gita teaches karma, the life of karma or activity. Anyway, but it is true that Lord Krishna teaches not so much karma as much as detachment. <clears throat> the process of what detachment do you want basically? This morning we were told in the meditation that if you enjoy an objective mind, what is an objective mind? 
An objective mind is a mind that can see things as they are without any superimposition, without any projection, without, without any distortion. See things as they are. Neither adding any value nor subtracting any value. Without attachment or aversion. So the mind is free from attachment and aversion. That is what we call the objective mind. And that's what we basically require. So that we can be objective. What is ultimate objectivity? Ultimate objectivity is to see that I am self. And this body is non-self. The body, sense organs, mind, intellect, this is non-self. And I am the witness, I am the illuminator, I am the consciousness. To see this reality is the ultimate objectivity. And so you can say that Lord Krishna also teaches how to become objective. What makes us subjective are this raga and dvesha, attachment and aversion. It's called subjectivity. And therefore, progressively making our mind free from attachment and aversion is a process. That's what Lord Krishna teaches, the process of karma yoga. <coughs> that was taught in the second chapter. So karma yoga is already taught actually in the second chapter. The third chapter will be elaboration of what is taught in the second chapter. And finally, Lord Krishna also said how Karma Yoga makes you free from Ragadveshas. Buddhi Yukto Jahatiha Ube Sukrata Dushkade Tasmad Yoga Yujaswa Yoga Karma Sukausaram. Here, Arjuna, when one is devoted to performing this action in the spirit of yoga, which will see yoga means offering to Ishwara. Then one becomes free from sukruta and duskruta. One becomes free from papa and punya. You free from attachment and aversion. And as a result, you become detached. Srutavyasya, srutasya. Whatever has been heard or not heard, you become detached from that. So Lord Krishna says, how performing action with the spirit of yoga makes you progressively free from attachment aversion, ultimately you develop vairagya or dispassion, <coughs> which leads into knowledge and abidance into knowledge. And that prompted Arjuna to ask a question. He says, Arjuna asked this famous question about Siddha Prajna, because Lord Krishna said, that ultimately you, you gain an abidance in the self. So Lord Krishna says, what is the description of the person who has abiding knowledge? Siddha Prajnasya What is the description of Siddha Prajna or a man of abiding knowledge? And then Lord Krishna in 18 verses gives a beautiful description of this Siddha Prajna, a man of abiding knowledge. <coughs> Where Lord Krishna says that this person is totally free from all the desires. Prajahati yada kamaan sarvan parthamanogatan this person becomes totally free from all desires, all demands. Desires means all expectations. He becomes free from all expectations. Becomes free from all demands and expectations. Meaning that he does not expect or demand anything from anybody. Because the expectation is the cause of disappointment and sorrow. This person becomes totally free from need to have anything, any favor from anybody, ex any expectation of others. 
he becomes a truly non-demanding person. How come he is non-demanding? Because he is satisfied with what is. Atmaneva, Atmanatushtaha. He is satisfied with himself. And when you are satisfied with yourself, you will be satisfied with everything else also. So this person is satisfied with the way things are. He is satisfied with what is. Any expectation involves or or shows a dissatisfaction of the way things are. You know, a desire or a demand or expectation is an expression of dissatisfaction. Either dissatisfaction with myself or dissatisfaction with something other than myself. It is that dissatisfaction which, which makes, which creates a demand to change. This person, the wisdom enables him to be totally satisfied with what is. Satisfied with himself as well as satisfied with everything else. And when you are satisfied, then there is no expectation, there is no demand. So Lord Krishna characterizes this person as a person who is a non-demanding person. One is totally content with himself, by himself, a total contentment, a total satisfaction and freedom from all the demands. So these are described as the characteristics of wisdom. And Lord Krishna finally concludes, Vihaya Kaman, Yasarvan, Pumams, Charati Nispruha. Vihaya Kaman, having become free from all the desires and expectations and needs. So the word Kama can be explained as desire or explained as expectation, can be explained as demand or explained as need. This person has become free from all the needs. Because all his needs are satisfied by his own self. Atma satisfies all his needs. What is our need basically? Our need is the need for happiness. When you discover that Atma is happiness, all your needs are satisfied. So, Vihaya Kama Sarvan, the person who is free from all needs, all demands, Pumam Sharadha he just moves about. He wanders or moves about, Nispruha, free, free from all expectations and attachments. Nirmamo nirahankara. He doesn't do mamakara. He doesn't claim anything as his own. That this is mine. He becomes free from sense of possession. Nirahankara. Free from all pride. So no pride. No sense of possession. No attachment. No expectation. This is a description of freedom. Sashanti Madhigachyati, this person enjoys total peace. <coughs> so this is the description of Isthita Pragna or a wise person. You know what this means? This person is moving about, wandering. That means he has nothing to do, he has no duties, he has no response. Looks like him. Who can otherwise walk about, move about or wander? Pumams Charati. Charati means he moves about. This Pruha, without attachment, is no attachment to a place also. No attachment to people. No attachment to a place that this is my place. Nirmamaha. He has no sense of ownership that this is mine. Meaning that he doesn't need to claim ownership of anything to feel sense of security. Because when he discovers security with his own self, he doesn't need something else to make him feel secure. So no expectation, no demand, no duty and therefore no action 
ദിസ് ഡിസ്ക്രിപ്ഷൻ വരുന്നതിന് So this is the ideal, this is how describing his ideal of moksha, which is renunciation, which is wisdom. So wisdom, renunciation, moksha, all of these go together and this is the ideal. This is what Arjuna heard in the second chapter. So this is the background of the question. how the third chapter begins the third chapter begins with a question or a doubt on the part of arjuna more than even doubt or a question it shows arjuna is perturbed he feels hurt i guess you know and he feels perturbed from what he understood from what lord krishna said lord krishna said what he has said and if you study shankar bhasha you will not have any problem that arjuna had meaning that if you listen to second chapter from a competent teacher then we will be very clear as to what lord krishna is teaching but i guess arjuna's state of mind being what it was arjuna still this one single desire in his mind is to avoid this battle give up this duty become a renunciate when he said to lord krishna nayotche i will not fight the battle you see actually a person a kshatriya cannot say i will not fight the battle as long as a kshatriya he has to fight the battle so when can he say i will not fight or when can he justify not fighting the battle when can he justify not doing his duty so as long as you are a part of the setup called the family called the society so long you have the duty when can you say that i have no duty when you no more a part of a setup no more part of a society no more part of family no more part of setup when you are not receiving any support from the setup then you are free also from the duty towards the setup by setup i mean a, a vyavastha an arrangement like family is a setup neighborhood is a setup is society a community is a setup and a member of community derives benefit from being a member of the community like you are a member of a club so you derive certain benefits in which case you would of course give some fees or you know you cannot derive those benefits free so whenever we derive some benefits it is necessary that we have to return the favor this simple rule of give and take so idea of duty is based on that that since i derive the benefit of the setup called family or go community it becomes my duty to return the favor so as long as arjuna is a part of his family part of the community so long he cannot say i will not fight i will not do my duty that would be wrong so when arjuna says i will not fight you know what it means it means that i'll become a renunciate that's the only way he can justify not performing his duty 
at least in the Vedic times, in those times, because people had, you know, they were, they were raised in a certain environment, or certain atmosphere where performance of duty was very important. And if you fail to perform your duty, there was a sense of guilt. How come I failed to do what I should have done? How come I did what I should not have done? The sense of guilt will be there. This, this duties always bring about conflicts. The rights do not bring about conflicts. Duties bring about conflict. That is why there is conflict in the mind of Arjuna. Say yesterday Duryodhana has no conflict because he believes in rights and Arjuna believes in duties. Therefore the conflict, whether I should do this or not should do this. This, this conflict never arose in mind of Duryodhana whether I should fight battle or not. Whether righteous or unrighteous, no problem. But Arjuna is a very conscientious person. So we do not expect Arjuna to just walk out of the battlefield. He has to, to formally walk out of this. What is the formality? Formality is that he should formally take a diksha, go through a ceremony and adopt the life of renunciation, become a sannyasi. As a sannyasi then he has no duty. So that is why Arjuna has a lot of fascination right now. From where he is, he has fascination for sannyasa. We, we infer, infer this. Because his own job is so unpleasant and so painful. And from this, from a distance, the, these mountains, you know, and they say, the, uh, what is it? The, uh, uh, the, the grass is greener yonder, you know. So everything, what is away looks always greener. Grasses greener yonder. Similarly also, the sannyasa looks very attractive from where he is. He doesn't know what sannyasa means. He doesn't know how demanding it is. He looks, sees, he wants sannyasa not out of understanding or maturity. He wants sannyasa because of dvesha for what he has to do. He has dvesha or quite a, 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 you know, an aversion for what he is required to do because how can I fight battle with my own people? How can I kill them? So he wants to avoid this battle because he has aversion for that. So it is Raghadveshas that have brought an attraction for sannyasa, not a maturity or understanding what sannyasa means. In the fifth chapter, Lord Krishna will say, Sannyasastu Mahabaho Dukhamaptum Ayogataha. Here, Arjuna, if you have not gained the emotional maturity or maturity of the mind, through the process of karma yoga, sannyasa becomes very painful. You are neither here nor there. Imagine a person who has become a renunciate, Lord Krishna will say in this chapter itself anyway, who has, who has given up all the duties. When you give up the duties or karma, you give up all the benefits also, understand? Because when you perform duties, when you perform karma, then it brings you benefits in terms of the outcome, karma phala. So if you don't want karma phala, then alone you can give up karma, otherwise you should not give up. If you are free from desire, then it's alright that you give up all your duties because now you need you don't have any desire to fulfill. But karma is the only way we have to fulfill our desires. Imagine desires are there in the mind and the karma has been given up. It's a very miserable situation. Arjuna doesn't know this as yet. All he knows is he doesn't want this. And therefore, 
that the only way he can walk out of the battlefield is when if he becomes sannyasi, otherwise he cannot. Society will not accept a person who has dropped out. So you cannot drop out. You have to formally change your, you know, your, your stage of life. So therefore, Arjuna is listening to, you see, when we listen to even teacher, we listen with our own mind, with our own priorities, with our own desires, and so we only listen to what we want to listen to. When a person comes here with certain problem in the mind, let us say, the only concern that person is, how can I get solution to my problem? Other things don't matter to me. Swami, I lost my job. Okay. What do you have to offer? What does Vedanta have to offer? So I listen only from that standpoint, that's all. So also Arjuna is only seeking validation for his desire to give up this battle. And I guess in that frame of mind, he must have listened to the teaching of the second chapter of Gita. And this much you could understand. That who is a person who is liberated? The person who is wise. A person of abiding wisdom is a person who is liberated. He is mukta. What is the state of his mind? He is free from all desires, expectations. They are free from all the duties. And he is free at will. He wanders about having no responsibility at all. So that, therefore he thinks that this, this freedom from duty, the renunciation is the means for moksha. If you want moksha, you should become a renunciate. <clears throat> and of course, a renunciate alone can have the leisure to pursue the knowledge full time. That also is there. As long as you are in the life of householder, there are so many demands on you. And even if you want, you cannot assign as much time as you want. So many other demands are there on your time and energy. And so you have a limited uh, time available for, for studying. Swamiji, I can get half an hour in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. That's all I can assign. Or I do that much at least. But then that's all we can do. But here, Pound of Purnyana, Shravanam Kuryat, pursuit of knowledge involves listening to teacher reflecting upon what I have listened to, deeply meditating upon what I have known. It's a full-time thing. It's only agenda a person should ideally have. And therefore, sannyasa or renunciation is prescribed so that he is free from all other agenda and he can devote himself to this. So this is very attractive to Arjuna. So this is what he derives from Lord Krishna's teaching. The Lord Krishna says that a person who is mukta or liberated is the one who abides in knowledge, is the one who is a renunciate. And so Arjuna understands that in order for you to gain moksha, you must become a renunciate so that you can pursue knowledge full time. And this is what he wants to do. So in that background he is listening to this. So this must be his conclusion. That karma yoga is life of activity. Jnana Yoga is life of renunciation. Karma is a means of attaining what you don't have. Jnanam is a means of attaining what you have. You know, last night we talked about a problem of which the solution lies outside the problem. Like problem of hunger, problem of thirst, etc. All the problems are solution which, where the solution lies outside the problem for which the means is karma. 
Whereas the problem of the tenth man is a problem where the solution lies within the problem, in which case the means is jnanam or knowledge. That is why it is so important to understand the nature of problem. There are two kinds of problems. Which problem do we have? Solution lying outside the problem or solution within the problem. <clears throat> so therefore, jnanam or knowledge is the means for becoming free from sorrow. And so Arjuna wants to pursue the knowledge. <clears throat> Whether he wants to pursue knowledge or not, he wants to get away from here. And therefore he, I guess, fantasizes that, okay, I'll become a sannyasi, I'll go to forest, I'll sit at the feet of a teacher, and I will listen to the scriptures, I'll contemplate upon that, that's how I'll gain the knowledge, I'll gain the abundance and knowledge, I'll get liberated. In that this karma has no place. So in this particular picture, karma or duty has no place at all. Whereas what did Lord Krishna tell Arjuna? Karma nyavadikaraste. Arjuna, your adhikara, your fitness is only in karma. Not in jnanam. Tasmad uttishtha kaunteya yuddhaya krutanishcheha dave kaunteya. Arise. Determined to fight, arise. And do a duty. So Arjuna is told to perform his duty. And on the other hand, Lord Krishna says, if you want to get moksha, then you must become a renunciate, give up all your duties. Now, suppose somebody praises, you know, how wonderful it is, you know, to become an MBA, let us say. And tells us, you know, these people who pass MBAs, what salary they get, and why, you know, how they rise in their life, whatever, all this MBA is an example in India. Go to this particular, uh, you know, management school and, and the starting salaries are 7 lakhs of rupees, 12 lakhs of rupees, whatever. So this fellow, is, my son is fascinated. Then what did I tell him? But you go to arts college. What do you mean? You say that going to a management school is a way to become successful and you ask him to go here. What, what kind of a thing is this? You mean you don't like me? You think that I don't want to progress in my life? So Arjuna also feels perturbed like this. From what he understood from Lord Krishna, on one hand Lord Krishna says that liberation means knowledge, it means renunciation. Arjuna, you do karma. So Arjuna thinks, what does Lord Krishna think of me? You mean I am not a mamaksha? I clarified right in the beginning. Yes, Shreyasyat, Nishchitam Bruhitan me. Please tell me that by which I can nishreyasa, I can get moksha. I made myself very clear that I am moksha. And now Lord Krishna says that moksha can be attained by only knowledge and for that you require renunciation. Therefore, because I want moksha, I would expect Lord Krishna to tell me, okay Arjuna, you renounce. You have this battle, no problem. Instead of that, Lord Krishna says, you perform the action. Does he have some other agenda for himself? Some people think so. Some people's interpretation of Bhagavad Gita is that whole teaching is because Lord Krishna has an agenda. What's the agenda? He wants Arjuna to fight the battle. If Arjuna does not fight the battle, then who will do Lord Krishna's work? If Arjuna does not fight the battle, how will Mahabharata battle will take place? Then how will all these uh, suras be destroyed? So because Lord Krishna wants his Kauravad and all the other evil people to be destroyed, 
That can happen only if the battle takes place, if only Arjuna fights. So he wants, he has his own hidden agenda. That's how some people interpret Gita. But that is a stupid interpretation because in 11th chapter, Lord Krishna says, even if you do not fight, nobody is going to survive here. That is very clear. So, Lord Krishna does not have an agenda. His only agenda is to see that Arjuna becomes free from grief. His only agenda is to see that Arjuna is liberated. That Arjuna's kalyan, meaning the liberation, that's all the agenda he has. But Arjuna is somewhat confused here. In how he interprets Lord Krishna's teaching of the second chapter. That confusion or that pain that Lord that Arjuna feels, he's perturbed in his mind. That Vyakulata or that you know, he's disturbed or perturbed. And that is what comes out in the form of these two questions or two state the two verses in which Arjuna expresses his feeling in the beginning of the third chapter of the Gita. So let us read those verses at least <coughs> to begin with. Well, the page number is here. What's the page number? Let me see. 31. <laughs> I mean, this is just copied from a book. So, these pages are the page number of that book, you know. <laughs> now, we have a book of Bhagavad Gita. When there are all the 18 chapters, all the verses and the translation is there. I think this is a copy from that book, so. Now, it's very easy. Formally, every time we have to write, give the verses and translation and this and that. Now that we have this book, Arjuna uvacha jayasi chet karmanaste mata buddhir janardana tatkim karmani ghore maam niyo jayasi keshava Vyamishrene vavakyena Buddhim mohaya sivame Tadekam vadanishchitya Yena shreyoham apnuyam So, these words of Arjuna the third chapter begins. We'll continue our discussion in the next class. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punapunaha Ishvaro Guru Atmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om